Welcome to the Beyond the Easy podcast with your host, Natasha Stevens. When she isn't speaking herself, you'll hear from some of the globe's most unique and powerful people who have pushed past perceived limitations and are exceeding societal expectations. Our niche is simple, people. Our dynamic guests share their stories filled with content that synergistically bridges the divide between us and them. And we're inviting you in. We are a blended tribe. Thanks for tuning in and catching the subscribe vibe. And welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Easy. And today we are joined with one of my favorite people on earth, Sean Jaya Chandran. Sean is the founder and president of Crossover Basketball and Scholars Academy, a nonprofit organization increasing gender equity and educational rates in India for underserved, marginalized communities while using basketball as the vehicle of change. He is focused on using sport for development and social impact through the lens of gender and education rates. Sean was born and raised in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, to the son of an orphan girl from India. His family immigrated to the United States while in high school. As a TEDx speaker, Sean is part of the legendary John Wooten's coaching tree where he continued the pyramid of success with his ideas and passion towards education, coaching, and opportunity for all into an international nonprofit that has partnered with Teach for India and has been endorsed by the WNBA Players Association, Slam Magazine, and so much more. Crossover Basketball Academy has impacted over 2,200 children in India, with nearly 60% being young girls. Now a member of the SAS tech community in Boston, Sean has been an administrator, teacher, and coach working in independent schools such as George School, Belmont Hill, Bishop Ireton, and Stone Ridge for 12 years, educating through the prisms of inclusivity and diversity, chemistry, and varsity basketball. Sean was honored at the Philadelphia 76ers Indian American Heritage Night for his work with Crossover. What kudos he deserves for that. He was invited to tour the first scaled tuition-free school in the world, the Kalinga Institute of Social Sciences in Odisha, and that is where he presented his TED Talk on impacting education rates through, through the change and creation of hope through sport. And Sean, as a coach, led his team within one win of an NEPSAC championship. Sean graduated from the University of George Washington, or GW University as most of us know it, with a degree in chemistry and a master's degree from Marymount University in educational leadership. Sean has been featured in so many different media outlets as one of the top outstanding men in educational diversity, equity, and inclusion, as well 
as one of the top nonprofit leaders who focuses on gender equity, the thing that we all have been talking about. And in partnering with Sean and Crossover Basketball Academy as a former professor myself and basketball coach uh, in independent schools, it gives me great joy to bring on someone who totally gets it. And his backstory is going to blow you away. He is super humble but very, very smart, and he cares, and he gives, and he is just one of those people that sits in the background, but when it's time to step forward, Sean steps with everything in him, and you'll find out where that tenacity comes from as we roll him in here on Season 3 during Women's History Month of Beyond the Easy. Hello, we are here with Sean Jayachandran. How are you doing, Sean? Good afternoon. I'm doing well. Sounds great. You know, I, I probably embellished your introduction there. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's such an honor to have you on today, especially during Women's History Month. Um, we've known each other for quite some time now uh, across social media, but also in education. And I just, I just want to thank you and let you know how honored I am that you would stop everything that you're doing to be um, beyond the easy. And while you're out there with your academy and with everything that you're doing for uh, young girls, um, I just wanted to just pause for a second and, and show gratitude to you. And I have to tell you a secret. I was looking up, well, I know some, but I did look up <laughs> some other ones because I was like, I don't know which dialect of Hindi or Hindu or Punjab or any of it or Tamil if Sean even speaks the language um, and, and we'll get into that in a minute but um, you grew up in Canada and that was shocking for me to find out but it was also quite refreshing what was it like growing up as a kid there um, the son of an orphan girl from India um so I grew up in Western Canada in a city called Calgary. For a lot of people who aren't familiar, it's the city in the movie Cool Runnings. That's awesome. And so, sorry, I'm getting a little feedback, so I wanted to just adjust it. And growing up in Calgary in the 80s was different. It was an emerging city. Uh, one that still had a lot of uh, unfortunate racist history associated with it. My parents uh, had immigrated there and I was born there. And it was, but it was also full of opportunities. Um, I love the city uh, overall. I think it's fantastic. Um, my parents elected at the age, when I was a ripe old age of four to send me to a French immersion Catholic school because they were state funded. And so this child with no experience in French and no parents who spoke French was sent to a French immersion school and became immersed and understood, and uh, which became very interesting when your parents can't help you with first grade homework uh, because they can't read the language. So that evolved. My parents worked really hard. Um, it's unbelievably cold when I explain to people that it gets to minus 30, minus 40 degrees. 
Um, it's kind of hard to fathom at times. And, but, it, but it's a wonderful city that, that grew and has expanded. It's a huge uh, player in the global atmosphere now. But, uh, and, I, and we left there in, in 1995, uh, right before, right as I was turning 16. Wow. So you were there for a long time. So the first takeaway is the 30 degree below, the 30 degree below um, the cold weather. Um, which I guess cold in Boston um, is not cold anymore. And the next thing, you're an 80s baby, which 80s babies are the best. I'm biased. And then (laughs) the next thing is this French immersion school. So now you have a kid who is Southeast Asian in Canada, 30 degrees below. Your parents couldn't help with homework. They were working so extremely hard. And you're sent to a French immersion school. So while you were there, Sean, from the kindergarten, first grade, all the way to age 15, did you speak French fluently? Fairly fluently. Um, I switched to an English immersion junior high for grade seven because my parents kind of got to a point where I knew more French than English uh, when it came to a complex vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And I would start explaining things in French at home. And, <laughs> and at that point, my parents were like, look, we, we really don't know what you're saying now. And That's so, hilarious. Um, and so, you know, uh, these two parents who grow, grew up speaking Tamil and, and English are hearing this kid who speaks English and French. And, uh, and that, was, that was kind of the evolution of like, hey, you know, but at every turn, they're their MO was to provide opportunities for my brother and I. And you, and, and it's pretty amazing, like um, to, go, to immigrate somewhere and be a mechanic as a blue collar, like my dad did, he was doing that. He changed to a, a company where he was working through the night. So we would just see him during the days. Uh, my mom decided, they decided my mom, uh, should learn computers to better her opportunities. So she would take night classes in computers. So my dad would take care of my brother and I in the evenings. And then he would, after we're in our pajamas, he would put us in the car and we would drive to pick her up every night. Um, if you can imagine, you know, you can imagine that it wasn't your typical bedtime, but uh, those are the sacrifices uh, families make um, when there's that selfless, approach of how how the next generation going to be impacted and 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 it's truly something to be grateful for no doubt I mean I'm sitting here like whoa I had no idea and people looking at you today that don't know that part of your story and our listeners are probably going to look at you like wow that's actually incredible I mean they've been super impactful in your life um, starting at, from birth and, and then you and your brother was having to go with your dad to pick your mom up and all of that. And um, I know that um, she was an orphaned girl from India raised by Catholic nuns. Um, when you told mm-hmm. me that some years ago, I was so blown away by that. Um, did she share um, any words of wisdom with you from not just being orphaned, not just being um, raised by Catholic nuns, um, and and now with this new information of the computer classes that she took at night, 
and being being Indian. Um, did she share anything or did maybe not spoken, but what are some lessons or words of wisdom that your mom shared with you to be an advocate for women and girls globally? Or was it just, I saw it and I did it? <laughs> that That's a great question. And to be honest, uh, I don't know if it was explicitly said, I think it was lessons learned by watching the both of them. So my mom would share stories about what it was like to be an orphan and growing up. And even to this day in, in Indian culture, it's pretty taboo to be an orphan um, with the idea of karma and, and outside forces and untouchables. You, you, people who are orphans are very much typically looked down upon or unwanted and there's a reason you're an orphan. We just don't know what the reason is. And so, so while we knew she was an orphan, it was something we were never allowed to disclose. Um, and so it's kind of like this, this odd family secret that we had to keep. And, but in watching my mom work and she would share stories about how, and, you know, I'm, I'm smiling as I think about this because my brother and I had such a hard time fathoming what she was talking about. She would share stories about stealing candles from the church so that she could light them at night and study in the hostels wow. because she knew that that was her way out. Right. And when you're like five, six, seven years old, you're like, I don't understand what that means. Right. Like your mom's like, no, you need to work hard. And, and her definition of hard is a whole different ball game. Right. You're like, I, I don't even know what that would look like to steal a candle, to light it, to study, because if you're not in the top three or four of your class of 200, you're not going to get to keep going to school at some point. And she had that in her mind. And so just hearing that and just being like, OK, look, there, there's there's a level and then there's and then there's what my parents do. And, and then I'll credit my dad as well, because so my dad was born in 1941. Um, and men of his generation in any continent are not typically progressive feminists. And, but then you're watching my dad encourage my mom and drive her to these classes and back so that she has opportunities. And there was never a sense of resent, right? Like my dad would make us dinner and cook for us. And he was doing everything around the house, just like anyone else. And as, as I grew older, you realize how unorthodox that was for that time period that, um, you know, when I explain to people, yeah, like my dad, my dad is actually a really great cook. He's actually the one who taught my mom how to cook because he learned how to cook. And my mom was in gr being raised by nuns. So there's all these ex extra forces that play into how you learn how to treat people. And my dad is again, born in 41. So old school gentleman, right? Where open doors, your clothes are ironed. Um, you're polite to people. Um, he also has a little bit of like a Malcolm X type ideology where it's, you know, be polite, be kind, obey the law. But if someone puts a hand on you, you know, um, the end of that quote. So it's, it's a sense where we were just raised to be, to be aware and to be, to treat people well, but also we had this 
powerhouse of a mom that we didn't always understand because we didn't understand where she was coming from, but we knew we had to, that there were, the expectations were high. Like there was no, my dad would somehow know and call me that night. Like even in college, wow. like, what did you do? Um, because we were just asked to, to be those people. And it never dawned on us to not be those those types I of mean, young men. After hearing that, that's team no excuses. And it, it, it and it's also <laughs> proof that there that parents can have very well-rounded kids, no matter if they are extremely poor, if we want to throw that word in there, or if they are excessively wealthy. The and when I say well-rounded, I I don't just mean you've got to study hard. Um, you grew up in a household that taught both hard and soft skills, so your emotional intelligence and your brothers from a young age just kept growing. You just kept elevating. I mean, that's just it's just team no excuses. And so now I see even more why you're so. I won't say defensive, but I would say supportive when you see injustices against young girls and women, especially of color. And now I get it. So, so, you know, I was like, what, what was his driving force? What's driving him? He's such a champion for us. What is it? And so thank you for explaining that. Why? Because That, that's all parents. Uh, I'll, I'll reinforce it with one other story, which is my brother and I, we were, I was arguably like the first kid of color at my French elementary school. And, um, and a few others joined, but I like to joke that like when my brother joined, um, we doubled the population, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, my, younger, my younger brother, but which isn't exactly true, but it was pretty close to true. And, uh, but my brother started to be just like I was, he was getting bullied a little bit. And I remember the first time though it happened and we came home and my brother explained what happened and um, where I was blessed with height right from birth. My brother was smaller for his age for a long time. And my dad looked at me and was like, why didn't you do anything? And I was like, wait, I would get in trouble, dad. Like, I'm like, dude, like, I, I don't know what you're talking about, but I've already gotten in trouble for fighting and I'm trying not to get in trouble. And my dad very clearly was like, if this happens again, you're going to be in much more trouble at home than you are at school. So don't even pretend like, you know, what's come like, like, I don't care if you get in trouble at school, if you're defending what's right. And it was very clear. And, and, and I carry that at, at different points for my, for my younger brother. And I think it carries over like when I try and see injustices is sure there's going to be consequences at some point um unfortunately at times but you have to if you're doing what's right um you hope that the truth holds and that you're doing the right Amen thing Amen to that i mean wow yeah that your dad sounds like he was a g <laughs> my, my my dad is, is fairly <laughs> remarkable it is i i can you know um he, he's traveled with us to India and crossover because he was, he, he finally was like, I need to see what this is about. And, um, and, and he's, and, and we'll talk about that, I'm sure later, but then even, even as LGBTQ rights, he evolved from being 
your stereotypical man in the in the shop who made those jokes to when the Supreme Court decision passed, my dad was like, look, and he's and they're very Catholic. And he's like, look, but what they do, and if it makes them happy, then that's fine. Like, why that shouldn't bother wow. me. And, and to walk to hear like a 70 something year old right. man say that. And it's what it's another driving force in my life. Where I'm like, look, if my dad at 70 something <laughs> who grew up in India and is hardcore Catholic can have this understanding, I have there's no excuse for anyone else. Like, there just isn't to understand compassion and and love and that love is love and you know god doesn't make mistakes and and we have to honor that wow man your parents sound amazing <laughs> no really and as you were telling the story you know i saw snippets while you were speaking of roxana from the first girl rising documentary um how her father moved mm-hmm. uh lived in this they moved in the, they lived in the city and it was it was the slums but they lived there so that she could get an education and she was bullied um by several boys uh on her way home from school one day and the mom had already wanted to go back to their village right but um they they mm-hmm. the dad was adamant that they stay so that she can get an education and then Eventually, you know, the authorities came and, and tore the slums down, kicked everybody out, and then they made their way back. And <laughs> so, so that story is, is, you know, about the dad being different than what you would expect or hear during that time frame is really what that reminded me of. And I actually remember, Sean, you sitting on a panel several years ago I I don't even know what year it is and and maybe you can remember but I remember seeing you on a panel discussing Girl Rising and and prior to that you shared with everyone who follows you on social media that you were prepping for that panel and you shared the Girl Rising actual uh, cover sheet and I was like, wow, how does he know about Girl Rising? So that was really, um, really crucial um, for me to look at and for me to see. Um, but that's what that story reminds me of. And I, I hope that our listeners will take heart to that and, and take heed to that, um, that everyone can change um, and that life looks differently for everybody. But um, justice and equity is are, are two things that um, obviously now with everything that has gone on in 2020 um, is on the forefront of everyone's minds. But um, now that you've heard Sean's why um, he is the way that he is for gender parity and, and equity and all of the other things, um, and God is God and God is love and love is love, and you've heard all of this, this is not someone who's just stood up one day and decided to become an advocate. This is, it's, it's, it's in his genes. It's in his, in his life. Uh, it's in every fabric of his being. So Sean, you know, you and I both um, were fortunate to teach and, and coach basketball. I'm pretty sure I was better, but you know, we can argue that point. <laughs> no, I'm totally Probably. kidding. <laughs> you and I both were fortunate to teach and coach basketball and often being the only minority um, or one of maybe two in or three, maybe if you're lucky um, in the schools or at least, you know, the only one of color in our respective roles, you and chemistry, me and Spanish. 
Um, how important, Sean, would you say back then, moving forward um, to today and then beyond today, would you say that it was and is for all students to have teachers and colors, uh, teachers and administrators of color? How important is that um, that we can talk about? I think it's 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 an unmeasurable impact on students and on people um, because it, it goes to their parents as well um, that they feel their child is being seen um, explicitly and implicitly. I think for the students, even if they're not a student you connect with, they acknowledge being seen again, that there's someone who who if something goes wrong, somebody who understands this journey. And, and that's really crucial. And I think it, it, it allows them, it allows students a moment where they don't feel they have to code switch, mm. especially in environments, right? And that, that tension relief, like if I say things in a certain way, this person isn't going to judge me any differently. Or, and, and to be honest, when I'm up in the front of a classroom, I will intentionally speak the way I want to speak, whether it's on the basketball court or in the lab, because I want people to hear that there's different intonation, there's different tones, and that's okay. Because at the end of the day, I mean, for me, it's, look, I'm teaching chemistry. So if I can handle all of this math and all of these theories, regardless of how the words are coming out of my mouth, that else it's, there's a statement being made that, you know, those brains don't come in a certain package and that it's important to, to understand and to, to not be trivialized. And, and I, and it, different forms where you're trying to be representative, um, and and that it's important. I remember I was coaching football at uh, at an all boys school uh, because uh, at some schools, you know, you have to coach yes. multiple sports. <laughs> and so I was out there coaching football, and I would wear the school's baseball hat backwards on my head while I coached. And I had an older faculty member at some point explain to me that that's not what we do at this school. And I remember being like, do what? Like, I'm lost. And he's like, we don't wear our hat backwards. And I was like, well, let me explain to you why I do it. I do it because the brim limits my field of vision. And now you're, you're taking away my peripheral vision of what I'm trying to see on the field. And so while, yes, fashion-wise, I like to wear my hat backwards. But at the same time, there's a function that's here. And the moment where that fact member stopped and was like, Oh, well, that makes sense. Wow. Like, and you're like, that's strange that I had to explain to you that wearing a hat backwards is okay. What do our students do when they're walking around campus with a hat backwards? What is your immediate snap judgment of them or had it been? It, it was what it was for you. Right. And because you're, you know, um, and at the same time, when, when a faculty member, at a different school will walk up to you and say, wow, you are so articulate, well-spoken. Mm. Again, I looked. And I'm Microaggression. Like, my, my, 
my undergrad is in chemistry. I have a master's in educational leadership. I, I'm very lost on, like I'm processing this, right? Like, what did you expect to come out of my mouth? And so again, when I shared back and I said, well, well thank you so much. I find you to be very articulate and well-spoken yourself. <laughs> I'm sorry, but what a response. Which, I love it. Which was my take, right? Like, hey, look, if this is a compliment, I'm going to compliment you back. Mm. And, and, and the look on her face of what, what, what do you mean? I'm like, and I, and I remember saying, well, I, I, I believed we were sharing pleasantries, <laughs> right? Like if it's a compliment for me, shouldn't it be a compliment for oh you? Oh my God. Like, you know, Sean, I hearing this, it just sounds so familiar. And I, I wish that the stars had aligned so that we could have been at the same school. Um, I probably would have been laughing uh, over in a corner or certainly standing there defending you. Um, because you're right. It does seeing teachers and administrators and coaches of color in independent schools, just it provides a level of comfort to just be who you are and know that even if you're at the gym and someone is way over on the other side of campus of color, you're a little bit less tense because if something happens in the gym, that causes some tension in the back of your brain, you're thinking, okay, when I get out of here, I'm going to go across campus and I'm going to find Coach Jay or I'm going to find Miss Stevens and tell them what happened. So they, they, have, they have the comfort. Um, they have the ability to converse, um, to communicate their feelings with uh, people like ourselves. And then to try and find a way to connect first within themselves and then within other students of color if they are there. And then as you coached the football, other football coach, and then this lady um, on uh, receptors, <laughs> I call them, as you, <laughs> as you coach them, then the students are able to say, okay, now we've gone through the pain. Um, we've processed it with people that look like us, that understand all of our nuances. And now we know how to eloquently coach and teach our peers and some other faculty members and administrative. And then that becomes a more holistic approach and environment for everybody. Um, and, you know, there's several articles from the Huffington Post to Psychology Today that talk about how, how beneficial it is for students of non-color to have uh, teachers, coaches, and administrators of color, that they benefit. I know my students do um, or did. I, I remember last summer after the George Floyd situation and, and his murder, that a lot of people, there was a thread discussion going on of people conversing and sharing the first time they had a non-white educator as their teacher. And I found it fascinating to watch different people because what I think stood out more than anything is that all of them knew if they had or hadn't. And if they had, they could name it. Yes. And I was like, that is it like beyond if you had or, had, or it had not, 
the fact that you are able to name it and know this this fact that this truth without even blinking is is an interesting facet right if you ask me how many caucasian teachers i've had i, I don't know i don't either <laughs> like, i just don't know <laughs> right, the answer right, right. right but if you're like how many how many bipoc educators have you had and i'm like oh okay i had a woman who moved from thailand in, who spoke french <laughs> as a, in, in a sixth grade and she was a dynamite and um uh madame mcelvain who um rest in peace she just passed away a few oh. weeks ago and then and then I had Mr. Dawood, who was a black man from South Africa who got a PhD and he, and he wrote textbooks for all of Canada. And, wow. um, and he was my eighth and ninth grade social studies teacher. And, but I, and he was so impactful because it was the first time I felt like I had a voice, mm. right? He would use my family as a reference in social studies class being like, do you think Mr. J. Chandran here has any choice but to succeed? Do you th- like... His families are immigrants who work hard. Like, do you think he can ever go home and say, hey, dad, I got a C. You should be proud of me. Like, I remember being like, oh, my gosh. Like, you actually know what I'm talking about. Right. This is phenomenal. Versus, yeah, versus other teachers who are like, oh, Sean, you got a 92. That's so good. And I'm like, dude, I can't go home with a 92. No. Right. Right. This isn't going to fly. I don't know what you guys are talking about, but... No, you're right. So, and you're spot on. And I had a, a student um, from France as well. And it wasn't until years later, um, probably in the past three years, um, I gave her a compliment on Instagram for standing up for something that was, she found to be unjust. And she, I was so shocked because she wrote back and she said, thank you. And she inserted a word in Spanish, which I will not repeat. Um, But she said, thank you. And she said, it was because of you that um, you gave me a safe safe place to use my voice. I never would have done that. Um, And I'm thinking that was like, what, 10, 12 years ago. And Mm -hmm. so you're right. And, And I hope that anyone in education, especially in independent schools, hear that. Um, because independent, the independent school system is very, very old and uh, some new, but for the most part, the ones that stand out are, are quite old. And um, when I say old, they've been around for a very, very long time, large endowments and things of that nature. And, and I asked the same question to, a, I did a focus group and then I, the focus group started to grow and I'm like, whoa. So I, and I just asked how many, before me, how many teachers are in administrators of color did you ever have? And they said, you were the only one. I had one kid who actually is Sikh say, well, I had one in college. And I'm like, <laughs> whoa, mm-hmm. right? And then I had others that say, we only had one our whole lives and that was you. And that includes Dartmouth. And I'm like, whoa. So, yeah. So thank you for that. Um, I, I think you're, you're definitely spot on. Um, and that's obviously an NASPOCC um, discussion. And, and, and what that means, you guys, is the National Association of Independent Schools, People of Color Conference and the SDLC, which is the Student Diversity Leadership Conference that, we brown people get to go to at first it was just for brown people and now it's expanded out and it's a wonderful thing um if we could just get their 
conference inside of the school every day. That would be really great. So, Sean, let's shift to Crossover Basketball and Academy, which is such an, a, phen- a phenomenal feat and organization. It supports the youth um, in Chennai, India, and even more. I've seen you everywhere. So I want to know, because I'm hearing your background, so now I want to know what made you start Crossover? You know, there to reach a point as I got older and I started to connect the dots and that I was like, wow, like what my mom overcame first of all is just it's a movie. Like it is a movie. My like we went from being like it's something that we're not allowed to talk about. And then as I got older, I was like, wait, like my mom's like a movie. Like you you all like yes there are women who have accomplished great things but like to literally go from an orphan girl in india to a middle class uh life in canada and the united states that's that's an an achievement in the delta that very few people can can claim and and for me i i was very fortunate and i understand that where when we moved to the washington dc area um i landed at a at a high school where our basketball coach for two years, and it happened to be the two years I was there, was a man named Bill Sweek. And Coach Sweek played for John Wooden at UCLA, and he was teammates with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and remained really tight friends. Um, and so to all of a sudden hear the, the Wooden philosophy of, of education through sports. And then when I started coaching, I was with a man named Chuck Drizel, and Chuck's dad is Lefty Drizel, Hall of Fame coach from Maryland. And so I'm being given these opportunities that just don't make sense to be honest at times. And, um, and my dad in college repaired the car of a man and they got to talking and he said, Oh, I do genetic research at NIH. And my dad said, Oh, my son's a chemistry major. I know he'd love to he'd love to be there one day. And because of my dad's honesty, the man gives him his card and is like, tell your son to call me. He can come start interning for me on Monday. So Whoa. <laughs> those, those opportunities don't happen. And, and they did. And so, and, and they, they define, they, they, they shape your path. And so as I got older, I was like, you know, this is, this is something that shouldn't be just because my mom was so exceptional, so above and beyond working hard that she got like, how do we make this connect and resonate? And at the same time, remembering eight, nine, 10 year old kids don't, other than my mom, don't, aren't necessarily going to see the light at the end of the tunnel and aren't going to say, I should spend an extra eight hours studying at night. So I started to put those ideas together and and so the idea of crossover came from that. I also was watching the NBA expand into India, trying to find and still trying to find uh, like their Yao Ming, their one in a right. billion type movie situation. And I was like, look, I think I can do this in a different fashion, right? You go find Yao Ming, but I, I, I like the idea of basketball and I like the idea of connecting and and I love that you can teach through sports. I've done that for a long time and And so the idea of crossover came at that intersection of impact and 
um, and education and outcomes. And, and I said it from day one, which was, I don't think we're going to be able to show anybody a two month proof of product. Like, but we will be able to show people like a 10 year impact if we can get this going. And, um, and basketball worked so well because people were starting to pay attention to basketball a little bit in India, still just a little bit, but this is one of those sports where, and I was thinking again of being like an eight, nine year old boy. And who do you want to play with? And those boys are already playing cricket and they're playing soccer. And so regardless of intent, if I were to introduce girls into the mix and a girl hadn't played sports before, regardless of who you are, you just wouldn't be very good. And a lot of boys reaction would be, I don't want to play with someone who doesn't know the rules or who doesn't, who isn't good. And so by introducing a new sport, what we were able to do is, and I lovingly say this, all of our kids equally suck, but it levels the playing field. And so for the first time in a lot of lives, they're starting at the same starting line. And I'm able to demonstrate to the boys in the community and to the girls what can happen. So that was kind of the origin and the idea, like you said, uh, of crossover was to literally cross over to, to make the leap of, you know, feeling you're, you're stuck or you're in a dead end to, Hey, there's a hope. There's a chance to do something more. There's, there's the play on word of like, Hey, we're going to cross into a new idea. And, and it goes with our theme of like hoops, creating hope uh, because I find hope to be the most, one of the most powerful things you can have on, on the, on the planet is if you believe something is possible, your entire mindset shifts. No, you're so right. And I figured that about, you know, the, the name crossover. Um, I, I think that it's such a, it's such a cool name because there's an inter- intersectionality, but also um, it has that basketball reference as well mm-hmm. um, for the, for, for, and I'm sure everybody knows what a crossover is in basketball, but I think that, you know, you serve 60% of the, of the, the kids that you serve with crossover are girls. And that just speaks to your level and your team's level of commitment to them to say, Hey, we're going to give you the equal playing field, Sean, that you just mentioned so that you don't have to hear any sort of bullying comments. Everybody starts out on the same level. And while you might have some genetic ability that's different than someone else, you're going to be coached the same. And what I really love about Crossover Basketball Academy is that while it's sports and sport and the arts, I keep telling this to people, are the two most unifying tools on the planet when you start it with kids. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought it was so beautiful, though, because while it is a sport and while basketball is being taught, through Crossover Academy, what I love about it is there was a video that your team shot um, during one of their camps or teams of play. And one of the little girls, they all the girls said what they wanted to become. Mm-hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong. I can't remember any of them saying, I want to be a basketball player. Oh, God, no. (laughs) (laughs) Right? They all said that, you know, I want to be a teacher. I want to be a doctor. It is the most beautiful video (laughs) I think I've ever seen because it speaks to what you said about hope. Um, and, and there's, and you can see it, their authentic smile, Sean, on their faces. It's like someone came in 
to a dark room and turned the light on and said, guess what? You know, you can be whatever you want to be. We're going to use the the basketball as a vehicle, but you can take your car, your bus, your plane, anywhere you want. And you can see it. It's not, it's not staged. I see a lot of foundations that have stuff like that and it feels so staged and yours doesn't. And I'm not (laughs) judging, I'm not judging the others. I'm just simply saying that I, I can tell when something's staged and when it's authentic and Man, if yours isn't authentic, I don't know what is. I mean, I look at those little girls and I just, you can hear me smiling while I'm talking to you. Um, So, you know, your 10-year plan, you'll have concrete measurable outcomes that um, has directly benefited the youth. And our listeners will, will actually get to see all of that in your podcast episode description and all over social media. But what would you do differently when starting Crossover? If funding was not an obstacle, where would crossover focus its energy uh, of impact? So, so those are two interesting questions there. Um, if funding wasn't an obstacle, we would have established year-round programs to continue the work um, that we did, that we do in our two-week impact camps. Um, we've run a pilot with one of our alumni and we tested it out and we found, and he did it for a year and a half. He met with kids three times a week. And on days that kids have crossover, they'd attend school over 97% of the time. And on days they did not, they were at school like 70% of the time. And, wow, that's huge. and just that moment of looking forward to something became a no excuses moment. Because if I don't go to school, I don't get to play basketball at crossover. And, and that's just a simple metric, to be honest, of, of what we're doing. And I think that if money wasn't an object, that's something that's quickly, you can quickly establish and quickly have um, lessons that we're able to share back and forth with, with our educators in India and our coaches in India, um, and how that plays out. The biggest shift I wish I'd made regardless, however, is I wish I hadn't been so altruistic and so naive in, in thinking that when people donate money, that all of it didn't have to go to exactly immediate direct programming. And by that, I mean, I felt really bad for a long time. And uh, it's only shifted recently of trying to find a paid photographer, a paid videographer to capture those moments because they were authentic moments, but we were trying to capture it on like iPhones and not allowing that production value to, to play in, which as I've grown in the nonprofit space, unfortunately is a huge part of it is people need to see the next phase because not all of them can picture what I see in my head. And right. And it's something I wish that we had put more thought and effort and somebody had grabbed me and been like, look, spend the thousand dollars. I got you covered. Like, don't worry about that. Uh, because, because that, that's where those, those moments do help you scale and grow. And, um, and it's something that we're, we've, we've earmarked for the future. Um, on the other hand, referring back to something you said in the previous a question 
of us having 60% girls in the program, that I would not change for anything because what we did early was establish that we would not participate with schools or bring classrooms unless it was exactly at minimum 50-50 girls to boys. And we would have schools who would say, I have 80 boys ready to go and 30 girls. And right from the beginning, I established my voice and saying, well, then to me, it sounds like you have 30 boys and 30 girls and you need to let 50 boys know that they're not coming. Mm. And I'll let you pick which 50 they are. Mm. And I was like, or because they would say, oh, I couldn't find 80 girls. I'm like, well, your other option is you get to tell 50 boys they don't get to come or you could go and get 50 more girls to attend. You, whichever play, that's your choice. But just, but just know this isn't happening. You're not showing up with 50 extra boys. And, and I have zero problem holding those. I will arbitrarily say, hey, you 50, your teacher didn't let you know you're going to have to wait outside. And I, and it was probably, let's be honest, an empty threat. I'm not going to turn away kids, but <laughs> obviously it yeah. sounded well enough that the teachers, the teachers took me seriously. And it's, and it's become very strong protocol for what we do that like, we're not, we're not budging on that. Like, um, and, and I'll let you, and, yeah, and, and it, and it established something important. Like when people show up, they see that it's always at least 50% girls. Um, the only year we didn't have 50% girls was year one when we had 23 boys and 22 girls and the pilot. Wow. Other than that, um, every classroom brings 50% girls. And then we bring in, when we're in Chennai, at least, we bring in my mom's alma mater, which is an all-girls school for orphans and single parents, uh, low income. And so as an all-girls school, that's that helps us skew the numbers. But we make sure to bring those girls. And uh, when you're on our social media, you'll see them. They're in their pink jumpers and their pink bows in their hair. Um, and and, and it's, I don't know, it's, it's an overwhelming experience to to get to talk to to those girls who, who attended my mom's school and to have those conversations with them and, uh, and get to convince them that I technically should be one of them because my mom is one of them and, and to watch them look at me like I have three heads and uh, <laughs> one of my humorous lines, but I think it's, it, it, it's always the truth is in that environment, I have to get street cred from the nuns. So Whoa, I have to go, really? the, nun, the nuns have to come out every year and vouch, oh yeah, Sean's mom, Francina, went to school here. Look, she lived over there. I can find her name on the wall. And they're like, wait, but but he's not one of us. Like, oh, like wow. Sean, Anna, or Sean, sir, Anna meaning big brother, he, he doesn't speak Tamil. He has an accent. He's American. How could he possibly have come from this school? How could his mom possibly have gone here? Like wow, and it's that it's very funny, right? Say to that, I'm I'm here with like a four foot eight nun in her pink sari, and I'm like, yo, sister, I need you to help me. (laughs) Like literally, sister, you need to vouch. Like, and they're like, oh yeah, I got you, right? Like, Sean, did you just say, yo, sister? I do. (laughs) <laughs> absolutely I'm like sister it's 
I mean, you could, you might as well slap me into a scene in Sister Act at that point, right? Yeah, like, that's where my head went immediately. <laughs> it was like, but it's like, I don't know if it's Bollywood or Hollywood. <laughs> right, like, yeah. I like, mean, right, I could make a Sister Act out of India, right? Like, because yeah. a few of these nuns, okay, first of all, nuns in other countries are like the most badass people I know because some of these nuns that are still working over there in India, a few of them taught my mom, right? Like, wow. And they're still there. And I'm like, you know, this, this is not like, how, how can this exist? Like, are you serious? Like how old? I don't even want to know. This is, there's some secret right? going on that we have to figure out because that's, they like taught your nuns, mom means, and they're, they're still there. That means they're in their seventies or eighties. They're still working in schools. They're still doing the lifting. Right, like they, they, they ain't going away. They're not going to retire somewhere. They're like, no, 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 we're here. The work, and we're not going anywhere. The work <laughs> needs to be done. And oh, like again, it's the funny. It's the I don't know. Life works this way, right? Like where they are letting me in to have this impact, also because they're like, oh yeah, we know your mom, right? Like, mm. You know, mm. um, to quote the nuns, oh, your mom is one of the most pious. She's the most pious child we've had, which. If you ever want something you can't live up to in life, I dare you to live up to someone calling your parent pious. Right. Because I remember being like, look, sister, I was really hoping you were going to give me some dirt on my mom. And <laughs> no. I could like hold over her. You just said she's pious. Like, I, <laughs> I don't know how, like, I'd like to think I'm a pretty good person, but I, I'm not pious and, and I'm not trying to pretend I am. Like, that's... Those are words you can't live up to at that. You're like, okay, that's that's a lost cause. I'm just gonna do what I do. Right, but, right, like, for sure. Okay, mom, you win that one. Let's let's just go there. <laughs> like, your your mom's a rock star, and and you know, I was gonna ask you if you could take one success story from the time that you started crossover to today. What would it be? But it with everything that I've heard, it sounds like you would like literally have a scrolling, blinking oh. billboard because they are all there, right? And the fact that, and I really want this to get into the listeners' heads. What's what 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 I I'm trying to even process myself is that the fact that these kids are wanting to play basketball um, because they want to go to school. <laughs> and I mean, you know, in certain places in India, after primary school, that's it. You don't yeah. get to go to high school. And so this outlet of hope, of hoops creating hope, um, there isn't one particular success story because... Well, Sean Jaya Chandran has certainly taken us around the globe, uh, starting with humble beginnings with his parents in Chennai, and then uh, immigrating to Canada, and from Canada to the United States. He certainly is one to watch, and as we trans transition further into crossover basketball, you will see how humility and hard work have been the vehicles and tools for his success, which means the success for so many young boys and girls, especially in India with the game of basketball, hoops creating hope. And we couldn't be more honored as we have said over and over to partner with Sean to help him and those that he serves. So let's bring him back in. Make sure you follow them on social media. You will see them everywhere. 
So we are back now with Sean Jaya Chandran, and we have established in our commercial break that crossover basketball has made such an impact um, that there is no one particular success story that could be placed on a billboard. Um, But, you know, Sean, you said something so powerful about, you know, funding when you first started crossover, things that you would have done differently with procuring funds or using funds um, a little bit more wisely and, and, and the power of photography and videography to capture those authentic moments. Because now when you look at other organizations that have tons of funding, millions of dollars into doing similar to what you're doing, but not with sports, um, you see the power of storytelling. And that allows people, because we can be such sensory perceptive type people that they want to see something, right? So they, they not only want to see your bottom line and benchmarks on paper, but to add to that layer, the video, the, time, the video timeline of, of success um, that you've had in progress that you're making even still now with crossover basketball, um, so I think that um, that's that's really smart. I think a lot of times we don't sit with what we did in the beginning to say, okay, what could I have done better now that I know it? Which again goes back to your mom, um, and I know <laughs> I know you don't want to 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 take the pious hat, but it goes back to your mom in in this you know self examination. Um, which leads me to a, a, a weird question and then we'll get into another. Um, and I won't say weird. It's just something I personally want to know. When you took your trip over, one of your trips over to India, um, I saw you in yogi pose seated in front of the Taj Mahal. And I was like, I'm so jealous right now. <laughs> um, what did that feel like? Was that your first time doing that? So it's really interesting. Um, so that's a trip from spring of 2019 with um with one of our board members and one of my good friends carrie small and uh and wnba superstar future hall of fame basketball player elena beard and um and we decided we were close enough when we were in delhi we should go visit and we should do it i actually got in trouble (laughs) for doing that pose at the taj mahal because it is a hindu practice right it is inherently tied to hinduism in india like in in something we don't i don't even consider here in america right like it's not it's so separate from hinduism and indian culture to me here in america but and so when i did it there i was quickly reprimanded by many people that this is a muslim mosque um honorarium and place you can't be posing with hindu poses here and I was like, wow, oh, you know what? I'm, uh, I, I'm sorry. Like I'm, I'm, too, I'm in the wrong. I was not culturally aware and sensitive at that moment. Um, and so it, it very much, again, uh, I love the fact that there's just all these learning opportunities. I didn't take it as insulting. I didn't take it as somebody trying to tell me what to do. I, it was very much like, oh, you're right. Yeah, no. Like, I, I think it's beautiful, like to continue learning cultures. I don't think know, that ever needs to stop. No, and but no, um, I'm I've been a 
I, of course, been exposed to yoga my entire life. Um, I, I suffered from pretty bad asthma growing up. And I remember my parents trying to teach me yoga and me thinking they were like, stop, like, mom, dad, this, I'm not doing this, right? Like, I was so in, intent on being a very Canadian kid at that moment in my life. Um, but then post-college uh, and working and coaching, I quickly was like, you know what? I think, and this is about 15 years ago now, where I was like, this makes sense. Again, you know, should listen to my parents, but this makes sense. And so we were, my, my basketball programs were early adopters to having yoga as part of our normal and um, I'm going to tangent here because it's one of the most phenomenal stories of, of student innocence that I can imagine. Right. Uh, I did a great advisee named Jack Dunphy and Jack uh, is wonderful and really smart. And he's also just a dogged ball player for us. And, and we insisted the coaching staff do yoga with the students, uh, with our players, because we wanted everybody in. Um, and we're doing in this yoga instructor is like, wow, you know, coach Jay, you are, you really understand this. And, uh, and I, I do like doing yoga. And I remember joking around me like, well, you know, it's from the land of my forefathers, <laughs> just being a smart ass at that point. And Jack, God bless him, turns to me and goes, coach Jay, yoga's from no Canada? way and was totally like this look on his face and i remember just wanting to hug that boy at that moment being like oh my god like you know me so well that you see me as very canadian right like you're not seeing skin color and you you acknowledge i'm a person of color but it's not right. your it's not your immediate it's not how you classified me you classified me as a mm-hmm. person you know and I just want to be like, you are that that is such a blessed moment. And it made me I just like cried. die laughing. And at the same time, I'm like, that is like, that's why you're a great kid. Like, because you're right, I am Indian, but I'm not actually like um a common joke my dad always had growing up was like, you're not Indian. And I was like, Dad, come on now. Like I'm brown, like I'm Indian. It's like, no, no, like you're not Indian. Like if I dropped you in, in the middle of India, you couldn't get home. Like is not that what happening. he said? You're, yeah, he'd be like, you, like if I dropped you in the middle of somewhere in India, you're not getting home. Like, and he's like, and there's not, it's not a knock on you. Like you're Canadian who's of Indian descent. And that, like, he was like, I want you to know that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But like, you're a, you have two sides to you. And that's important, right? Like, and you're, you're leaning more Canadian at this moment, right? Like, he's like, you know, hockey, you don't know. Cricket. Wow. Like, like, and and I remember just taking that to heart and just, it's, it's a line that stuck with me because again, like when my dad started to volunteer with crossover about five, Which six I years think ago, is so I cool. remember starting I to show him. I think it's so cool that your dad's <laughs> a volunteer for crossover. And I started showing my dad around places like, Oh no, no, we're going to this restaurant and I know how to get there. And he was, and I remember looking at him was like, Oh yeah, I know how to get home now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and the fact that both him and I understood the context of that story was fantastic, right? He's just like shaking his head. I'm like, oh, he's like, you still can't speak. I was like, I can't. But you know what? I understand it and I can get around. And that that was your your qualification to me. And I now meet your qualification. Right, right. right? Like, so can I be uh, Indian now, Dad? <laughs> That's right. amazing. No, no, I no, can't. No, I know because, you can't. But I mean, um, it's it's that. To, to yeah, go with it. Yeah. Yeah. No, but it, it, but building on exactly that is we do these, you know, as any works, we do these post surveys and about a quarter of our kids that have been exposed to my dad 
they find my dad to be their favorite crossover coach. This is really funny because my dad can't play basketball like at all. Right. My dad doesn't coach any of the basketball sessions. So when you're like, I was like, this is weird. I need to go ask. I'm like, why is my dad your favorite coach? And Mm -hmm. they all know he's my dad. Right. So I'm like, why? And they call Mm -hmm. him Tata. Right. Um, Which is a code name for like grandfather. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, they're like, oh, I'm like, why? Why is my dad your favorite coach? The man, the man can't dribble a basketball. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And the kids are like, oh, well, he's the only Tata. And to a T, this was the story. He's the only Tata who knows our name, asks us how we're doing, and then remembers the answer the next day. Whoa. And asks us again about it and like follows up on stuff like and jokes around with us and smiles. And I was like, my God, like the power of connection and of knowing someone's name is so much more like, I remember being like, man, just throw out the playbook, like crossover, just learn kids names, like talk to you, like, and just ask them how they're doing. Like, if that's the impact, like, you know, what our focus has to be like, I can do all these skills and drills and I map out everything and curriculum devices. But look, if it's about a 77 year old man saying, how are you? And how's your dad doing? You said he wasn't doing well yesterday. And that was it. Man, Holy smokes. Like the power of human connection is so much deeper than, than all of these devices. And, and sometimes we forget that, right? Like, and, and, and I remember, cause it, like the kids are, are, kids are great. Right. But the kids are my dad. He's, he's a homie. Like he's a <laughs> local, he's one of them. Uh, you know, my dad, my dad's tough as nails. He, he's not, he didn't, he's not a rich, he didn't, he's not that uber wealthy dude. You know, they know he's a mechanic. Okay. And- Sean's dad, one of us. Sean, you're a foreigner. Like you ain't even like there, there's no middle ground, right? Like I'm like, man, like, like I'm doing all this work and like, yeah, that's fine, but your dad, your you're, dad's real. You're, you're not you're, you're you're still some some other dude. Right. Like, I know, you know, and I'm joking around because like, look, okay, in America and Canada, I'm brown and I don't fit in it, it necessarily because I'm brown and right. So and, you're you're treated sometimes a foreigner. I go to India, I'm still the foreigner. <laughs> Like, come on. Like, Can I catch where, a break anywhere, where, right? Where are you supposed to fit all of a sudden? Like, Dude, listen, I I could tell you, you some stories. It. Yeah, yep. yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's so cool, though, about your dad. And it does speak to the power of the human connection and why it matters. And I think, you know, this 2020 has proven that with the pandemic. And I was going to ask you, you know, because you do the two-week summer camps when it's summer in, in Chennai, in India, essentially. And ha- has this affected crossover basketball? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, until – and India's taken a very different approach than, than we have taken, right, where they just were like, cool, we're just reopening everything. Like, we're going <laughs> to – like, there's just not no way of tracking – the extent right Mm. like there just isn't and so you're just hoping and praying and so for us there's just all sorts of cautious that has to go and so we can't travel there um and and even if we can like if we were like oh well they're open so we can just go do whatever we want there's an ethics line that i'm not willing to cross of like we're gonna bring a few hundred kids together and i don't care 
that we bring them together because they're poor. Like that's just not a line mm. I'm willing to cross that like to just to like tap myself on the back and be like, look, look at what a good person you are. Look at this next video production. Like I can't, I can't do that. Um, good so for we, you. So what we've done is, and we've been working on it and I'm not saying it's perfect, but we've been working on a coaching certification program that's going to be free. Uh, it's going to be like 30 to 40 videos. It's going to be free to anybody in India who wants to, to take it as long as they document working with 20 girls and 20 boys once a week. Um, and as they reach different milestones, we're going to send them basketballs or provide them shirts for their students and continue to provide them content. And then if they complete everything, whenever we can travel, and I'll figure out the funding when we get there, um, we're just going to say you have an open invitation that we will bring you in and put you in a hostel or put you in a hotel to attend the crossover program as a coach. But you also get to learn from all these American coaches and, and student athletes that are coming over here as well. So that's where we're at. We've convinced, uh, I say convinced, but I don't think it's convinced. We've engaged with some phenomenal people that are, that are recording videos for us and, uh, and who just see the good in what we're doing. And that includes, I'm going to start with, because I'm still blown away that he's doing this. Um, Dan Hughes, who's the head coach of the Seattle Storm. Oh my god! Recorded a phenomenal video. He's on the USA basketball coaching team staff for the Olympics coming up this year. Um, Dan recorded, he jumped on an email right away. Said, Absolutely. This is phenomenal. I'm in. And he recorded one, like in the middle of Team USA workouts, right? Like he, wow. yeah, he, he sent it in the middle of that. He's replying in the middle of the WNBA playoffs last year. We're like, this is, this man, like, this is, a, what, what an incredible person. I'm like, you, you're a world champion. Like you, you could easily have blown us off. Um, Matt Doherty is recording one for us. Coach Doherty is the former head coach at Carolina for the men's side. Um, teammates with Michael Jordan, one of his best friends, he's recording it. He just came out with a great book. Uh, Brittany Donaldson, who's one of the first women basketball coaches in the NBA. She's with the Toronto Raptors program. Uh, she's recording one for us. And so there's just these great people who are like, yeah, I'll do that. Christy Thomas Kuti. I can't go without shouting out her because She's the first um, woman of Indian descent to play college basketball that we've documented. Uh, she played a two lane, still holds some of their three point records. And of course, if, if you know me, you know that I nerd out on knowing that kind of. Yeah, uh, yeah. He still confused down and then reached out to her. She's like, who are you? Uh, but, you know, but her words are powerful. And um and so all of those things are, and, and then, you know, there's others that are being recorded and doing the work and, and it's pretty neat. Again, um, it's, it's pretty cool. And Elena Beard is another one. Um, love, love, love Elena and everything. She's just a rock star of a human being. Um, but all of these are just people who we're not compensating them. <laughs> we're like, Hey, can you shoot and record 10 minutes to 12 minutes on leadership or gender equity or character, teamwork, or communication? It can be about basketball. It doesn't have to be about basketball. Like, we just want to hear your thoughts on this, on these topics. And, Sean, that, and they're doing it. Sean, that's so awesome. And, and kudos to all of those incredible people that have come alongside you 
without hesitation, without reservation to say, are you kidding me? Like, who wouldn't want to be a part of something like that? Um, and, and that's huge. And I saw Elena with you over there. Um, what, what do you think? Because I know that the, the, the kids and the coaches and, and you yourself, your board, um, all benefit from from a, the Elena's of this world and everyone that you mentioned on the female side um, coming alongside crossover and helping and even the, the the guys especially do your pro athletes that you know go over um, still stay in touch with members of crossover and and how do you feel how did you see your kids impacting them I think what's pretty impactful to them is it's one thing to hear about it. And like we experience poverty here in the U S right. We, we have our projects in the hoods and, and we're able to understand it um, or people think they understand it. And then, but when you're, when you're in South Asia, there's a different level of, of haves and have nots that that are just really hard to to process because they live literally alongside each other, right? There's malls with Brooks Brothers and the Kenneth Coles and the Starbucks and right outside of their slums where people aren't able to beg to get two US dollars a day, Mm. right? And you're like, oh, like how are you in the same, not even just the same zip code, you're literally on the same street on the same block. Like how, how can that coexist? And in one of the things we do a lot of is like try and prep people and, and speak about these conversations. And so there's a level of, of human dignity of being seen. And I know I've used that term already. And, but to, to actually see somebody is different than when you're in that environment day in and day out, so many people stop seeing them. Right? They're just another part of the of the background or the street noise, right? Mm. Like they're no longer there. Mm. They're not part of what you're experiencing. And so we do a lot in like, how does this exist? Why does this exist? Um, we we often at different times will get invited by these families or by the kids to like come check out their neighborhoods. And, and it's an important thing to do. And it's not like this slumdog tour we're trying to do. Like when we do it, we speak about because these kids are very proud of where they live and we want them to be proud of it. And so we speak, I speak very, very importantly of if we're visiting people's homes, we need to dress nicely. Like I know we're, we're going to be walking in the slums and there's going to be gross stuff on the street and we may step in something gross. You need to wear your nice clothes. Mm. Like we can go to the dry cleaner. I don't care. I'll pay for the dry cleaning. Like, but if we're going, like you are not showing up dressing down or dressing in rags or, or, you know, your, your workout gear to go to somebody's house. That's just not how that culture works. And it's, it's disrespectful. So again, it's, it's showing up and being like, for me, it's being in a button down and, and long pants in, in 120 degree Fahrenheit weather. Right. Like, <laughs> no, I okay. get it. Yeah. I'm showing up, but, and, and so to someone like Elena and to someone like Tammy Sutton Brown, it was really impactful. And, um, the last trip I was there, unfortunately, was in Mumbai for the, the first uh, NBA games in India. So that's at the end of 2019. And because of our connections, we were the same facility. We were borrowing the, 
um, the same facilities as the NBA Academy was for their girls program. So they got the nice gym upstairs and we got the secondary gym, um, which was not as nice, but we had it. And, um, and there was a moment where the main gym was being occupied by the school. So the NBA comes down and they take over our gym. And I remember being like, whoa, like you just came into our gym. Like, right. um, like, okay. And our kids show up and the NBA Academy is running with the, the elite girls and um and they have this great great uh ambassador named ebony hoffman who played in the w as well and ebony has joined our board since then but ebony is just like just a phenomenal woman and i was like you know what um and if you get to know me right like just my attitude of like because some of our coaches like oh we'll just have the kids hang out outside or, or somewhere else until they're done i'm like no 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 this is actually a cool opportunity mm-hmm. we're just gonna go in like kids you're going to be quiet but this is a great time for you to see other girls especially other brown girls excelling on the court like let's go watch just don't make noise like but why shouldn't you get to see how beautiful basketball can be played at a higher level and we walk in and and the, the kids sit down and they're quiet and they're watching and their eyes are just bulging because they've never seen something so fast and so poetic and ebony looks at me and she's like Oh, these are your kids. Yeah. And, I'm, and she'd learned about crossover. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is. And she looks at him. And she's like, where are their shoes? I'm like, what are you talking about? Like half of our kids don't have shoes. Like this is, this is what they have. And wow, I think it was at, kind of at that moment where she's like, like, and I think it's a hard thing to convey to people of like, Oh, mm-hmm. like it's oh. a reality. It's a like, reality. This is, for- like why are, why are some of these girls showing up in dresses? I'm like, cause that's their clothes. Like mm-hmm. they don't have shorts, like they don't have socks, like they don't have, if they have shoes, it might be sandals. That's what they're wearing. They're wearing like chuppels or tongs or whatever, however you want to define them. But like, this is what they have. So, you know, we're not, we're not coming with X amount, you know, like what we can afford right now is to give them one type of dry fit shirt. I wish I could give them like five, um, you know, but this is, this is who they are. And, and I remember the reaction of her just being like, Oh my gosh, like this is phenomenal. Like, this is like, your kids are like, this is amazing. They like, they're showing up like this after a day of school. I'm like, yeah, like they're exhausted. They're tired. They still are going to show up because this is an outlet. This is an opportunity to do something that, that they don't get to do. And, um, and it means something. Cause again, it goes back to that human dignity component, right? Like, and, and I think that carries um, like when Elena was in, in Delhi, she was just like, this is, this is amazing. Like these kids are incredible because it's hot. And most of our time we're playing on outdoor courts. And if you are barefoot on 120 degree, I can't do it. I'm soft. Like I, I joke about this, but it's the truth. Like I'm soft compared to like those kids. It's not even, it's not even a question. And I'm soft compared to like my dad and my mom who came out of those environments. Like just chalk it up. Like I, I can be labeled soft and I'm okay with it because I, I can't, I can't do what they do, but. Right. And, and, and the <laughs> honesty, the honesty that is coming out of you right now speaks to your character and your integrity um, and, and just your honesty and who you are as a person. But it also is very reflective, Sean, 
in in your um in your students and the kids and the girls and the ones that will tell you and kids are so honest right when they're little they're just they're just the cutest little <laughs> they, they 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 will tell you mr mr sean you're bald-headed mm-hmm. um yeah we, we yeah we like your dad better than than you you know you teach us how to dribble but he knows our names and he knows what's going on in our homes mm-hmm. which is very important so to hear elena and and your board member and tammy sutton brown oh tammy's um, awesome <laughs> yeah, to to hear how they've been impacted by this, I know I know I saw you and and Tammy delivering a, a guest lecture together. Um, what was what was that about? Where can we where can people find that lecture? Is oh. it available? Let me. You know, it's a good question. Um, I was asked, and and Tammy contributed. Um, so there's a phenomenal program being run, and by that's a grad school, one of the only sports management graduate programs in India. And they're doing a great job um, because there isn't a space for that yet and they're growing it, but they're working and they're trying to grow sport. And the founder and I had met years ago and he said, whenever you're here. And so I was like, hey, we're going to be in town. And he's like, I need you to give a guest lecture to my students. And I was like, uh, on what? Like, <laughs> and he was like, on, on what you're doing. And so we spoke about it and spoke about the importance of representation, spoke about the importance of mandating gender equality to create gender equity and, and why that, how that played out. And, and it was a pretty, pretty cool talk. Like I, I have to say, like, I thought it was really fun. And Tammy shared about like what it takes to be a professional athlete. And, and, and I think some of that is, is glossed over. It's very, so many people think of those moments, both like what crossover is doing and becoming a professional athlete as, as movie esque stories, right? Like they just happen and people like, there's a storybook ending and look at, look at how Tammy became a pro. And it's not, it's not that it's, there's so many hours that she committed to, to working on this and to, and sacrificing and committing. And, And as we share that, you could see these, these graduate students faces of like, wow, like, I'm like this isn't going to be easy, mm. and, but it's fun and it's worth it because you get to look back, but there's going to be days you're going to be like, this is, this is not cool. And I think what was super special about that day is um, this young man named uh, Rohan. And I'd actually met him four or five years earlier when I'd flown up to, to Delhi um, to meet with a program. And he happened to still be a high school student at that time, volunteering with his dad. And they were trying to run something somewhere. And he remembered me speaking and how I spoke about it. And he was so thrilled that he got to introduce me that day. And I, I'm so humbled that he was just so excited about it. And then he got a bunch of his classmates that day to then come and volunteer across for the rest of the week there in Mumbai. And they showed up and they were just like, they were just in, in shock, right? They're just like, we didn't know that this is what sports could do right? Like they're looking at the dollar signs and, and the professionals and they're like, I'm like, yeah, but it starts here, right? Like you can take all the approaches you want, but like, I promise you, if we can get, it's India, right? Like numbers aren't a thing. I, like, I feel like, so if we had the funding, you know, we could have 10 million kids playing basketball in a year, right? It's not, it wouldn't be hard just because there's just the need. And and I joke about it, but like, that's how, that's how you find stars because, um, 
I, I love the story that LeBron James and Steph Curry were born in the same hospital in Akron, Ohio, right? Like the odds of that are just ridiculous. And, but they come from very different families. Stephen Curry comes from a very well-to-do family. His dad's an NBA professional. He grew up a multimillionaire. He grew up with everything at his disposal and he worked his tail off. And I'm, I will never take anything away from that. And then you have LeBron, who's like nine houses in his first eight years, bounced around, ends up living with his football coach who turns him on to basketball. Nothing's given in his life. And also becomes world's greatest player. And, and I talk about that because for everybody who tells you they can find a professional athlete, I'm always like, you could not have picked those two out of any storybook. No. Just not. No. And, you know, and so if you're telling me, okay, LeBron at 16, yes, we could point to him and say, that guy, that's special. Probably, he's definitely a pro. I don't know what else, but but that's like the one, like there are countless high school and middle school and college stars that look like everything that aren't a professional. And it's not a knock on them. It's just literally we're talking about like, I don't know, 400 of the greatest athletes in the world, like, and, and has something else. And you're like, does that, how do you, how do you quantify that? You can't. So you find it because you have a huge amount of people playing sports who then all of a sudden at some point it whittles down and it becomes, you know, you find your professional out of there. Um, good friend of mine who loved to death and can't wait to get him over to India's uh, a young man named Langston Galloway who plays for the Phoenix Suns. I went to t- continue to work at his craft and Mike's just a wonderful human being and and he guessed what we're trying to do. And but again, he shouldn't by some metrics, he shouldn't be a professional. He should not be an NBA player. And yet there he is in year six or seven of playing in the NBA, going along. And so take and doing great. Right. And so and, taking his story, taking his story, there are millions, countless of thousands, I'll say, and millions. I don't know about the millions, but I know countless of thousands of that one story that one example right there in india it's just a matter Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. starting small but when i say small i mean age-wise going in and making a difference and making an impact and so kudos to you sean for having a vision following through with it and building your your whole organization out the way that you have and and making sure that it is inclusive around uh, across the board um, from the players, from the little girls and boys <laughs> that I love. <laughs> I can't, I want to meet those kids, but from them oh. all the way up to the, the people that are now helping you with your coaching um, program. It's a, it's a, it's a fascinating thing. That's, that's never been done. And I do not believe in reinventing the wheel. And I hope that whomever is listening to this podcast, and we've had some feedback here and there, but you can make your way around it, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> I, I, I do not believe in reinventing the wheel. I do not believe in competing with someone um, just for the sake of saying, oh, well, I have a big name in basketball, so I'm going to go start a program in India, too. 
Um, mm-hmm. What I believe in is sitting back, watching the value, listening to this podcast, going over to everything that Crossover is doing and saying, you know what? I used to play basketball or I do play basketball professionally or I like the sport, but I'm just like a, a fan of the sport. I can't play it, but I love it. I'd love to help in a, in a, in a very um, meaningful way then go help crossover basketball. You don't have to reinvent the wheel to make yourself feel good. You've heard the story from start to now to where they're going. Chip in, help, use your platform, use your name. If you're an investor, invest. Um, If you knew what Sean was talking about up close in person when it comes to being inside of Brooks Brothers, but you're stepping over kids in, in slums and slums and, and families that are just displaced. Um, and the hope that he is creating and giving and infusing into not just the kids, but the families in the communities, you wouldn't want to go through all of the work that Sean is doing. You wouldn't even want to hire a bunch of big wigs to do it for you because then it's not authentic and the kids will know they will know and 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 how will they know they will know because they already say that Sean is not one of them okay so you could go hire someone that's very indian if you will or southeast asian that lives in india to be Sean's dad but he's not going to be Sean's dad because he doesn't have the same story so Sean I really want to thank you um it is such an honor to have been able to talk to you to hear the backstory um I'm going to make sure that I have all of your links in this podcast so that people can go there and see um, for themselves. And I hope that you will talk to your board about getting some sort of ambassador program going. And you might already have an ambassador program um, so that people can speak well um, through experience, um, not just hopping up saying I'm an ambassador, but there's a heart connection and a human connection so they can speak well about crossover and become those ambassadors um, all around um, the country. And I've heard you drop three different places. I've heard you Chennai, Delhi, and um, Mumbai. And so in closing, you started from, started at Chennai. Now we're here. So, (laughs) so what was your. You're quoting my Canadians there. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) With Drake, you're you're quoting my Canadian. (laughs) Okay. Well, there it is. I mean, I love Canada. So, and I love (laughs) Canadians. So, so what is your wildest dream? So are you hoping that you cross all the all the areas in in India and then go into other countries with your program what is your short-term wildest dream and your long-term wildest dream uh short-term wildest dream um to have us funded I think a crazy part of the crossover story is um and you know it but and you've alluded to it but like we've done the most we've ever taken in, in any year is like $42,000 us. So we've done all of this with no full-time employees, no paid employees. Um, it's just grit and side hustle and work of, of wanting to build something better in the world. So like short term, while this dream is, uh, Puma or Jordan brand or converse goes, you know what? Yeah, you're, we run all these women's, 
uh, month initiatives in the Black History Month, we're, we're going to put half a million dollars towards what you guys are doing or two million dollars and go like, hey, build this out. Like, go be go go build the stories because you guys have the stories. Like, let us let us just empower these stories um, the long term. On the other hand, is it sounds cheesy, but like, so it's two parts, right? Like, uh, getting to a rate where we're like, hey, 80, 90% of our kids are graduating high school and have an opportunity and, and some source that we can get them into universities if they want to go. And also, that it's not limited to India. I think what we've learned and is it, it, the authenticity has to exist, but if there's good people that we can, good teachers can adapt and, and modify their programs to fit different environments, as long as it's authentic to the environment, the basics and the concepts we've established, and we know they work. So if it's, anywhere in South Asia from like Bangladesh to Sri Lanka to Nepal to different parts of Africa or South Africa, we've been invited. We've, you know, Crossover has been invited to bring the program to about two dozen countries at this point. And, and because people are like this, this is phenomenal. It works. It's so true that it works. And so, yeah, that's that wildest long-term is like, Hey, we're able to, to bring this because it is such a, the theory of playing through play without the pressure of producing a professional is, is, is really fun and phenomenal and it's heartwarming. I, you know, it's exhausting and, but in the good exhausting way where you just sit there and you're just looking at it and you're just like, wow, like um, you produce like what little kids call like happy tears, right? You're just like, wow, this is, is moving. Like, look at where these kids can go. And, and I'll close with, with the fact that we have two phenomenal students who have gone through the program. Um, one's a young man named Xavier, who's done his undergrad. He graduated, um, single parent home, uh, went to a, a school for, for boys who, who, who didn't have resources and is applying to graduate schools for his MS in finance here in the U.S. And, um, and one of which is Temple, which as I speak to you, makes me connect the dots and I need to reach back out to Langston to ask him for uh, a recommendation for this young man to get into Temple. And the second is this young girl named Ripria. And Ripria, you'll see her in a lot of pictures. Um, and she came to Crossover for three straight years and she's in her 12th grade right now. And she's literally going to be attending medical school next year. And, and she reached out to me and I was just like, this is, I, I I remember this little girl who was attending our programs and and just happy to be there. And and Ripria is not love you to death, Ripria, but she is not a baller in the sense that we think of a baller. But she's all she's so much more than that right now because if she's going to medical school, the the amount of lives she's going to impact and change are just countless and in our years to come. So um, those are those two I can close the loop stories where we know what what happens. Um, by not producing phenomenal first round draft picks. We know what's, we know that we can produce. If, if you told me I could produce a first round draft pick or I could produce 20,000 middle-class um, income families in the future, I'm, I'm taking the 20,000 
every day, all day, every day. Sorry, that was a lot. <laughs>